Ever felt this way? I can't go on one more day. Anybody ever feel that way? That's what I want to talk to you about. I feel like I can't go on one more day. John felt that way. In fact, the economy uh, back just at the, at the around 2009 took that turn and John felt like I lost his job and didn't even know what to do and found himself looking all over for a job and finally went even to the local zoo in his small town and said, do you have a job here? I'll do anything. I'll sweep, do anything. And they said, we don't have anything except our gorilla just died. And would you put on a gorilla suit until we get a real gorilla? And he says, if it pays something, I am that desperate, I'll do it. And sure enough, that's what he did and started to support his family until this local zoo got a gorilla. He said he got so into this job that he was doing everything. He was going against the fence. He was scaring kids. He did everything in this job. He said he climbed a tree one day and fell into the lion pit. Then all of a sudden, the gorilla started to speak. He started going, get me out. And finally, the lion came right on top of him as he's screaming for his life and says, shut up or we'll both lose our jobs here. <laughs> How many know not all things are as they appear? You are looking at a fellow lion suit wearer right here. Because we can pretend to be brave. We can pretend to be religious. We can pretend to be um, holy. We can pretend all these things. But sometimes we fall out of trees and we find out who we really are, don't we? It was just right over there at 8th Avenue. I took my lion suit off and I was talking to Pastor Carter and I just finally took it off and I said, look at me. Right on that Starbucks on 8th Avenue, I said, look at me. I said, I'm a fraud. That's what I told him. I said, don't believe anything I've said. I said, I'm ambitious, I'm prideful, I'm arrogant. And it, it, when I took off the lion suit, let me just tell you something. It is liberating when you take off the lion suit. It's also, let me just say this. It's hot in lion suits when you try to pretend to be something that you're really not. See, we call that hypocrisy. We call that trying to put on different suits in different places. In fact, what's interesting is that the Bible is really clear. In fact, the Bible says in, he, in, in Romans 13, it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That means when we become a Christian, we have one suit that we wear, and that is the Jesus suit. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That means when I go to work, I act like Jesus. That means when I get on the subway. The problem is, is when we have a closet full of a whole bunch of different suits, that we act a different way at work, different way on the subway, different way when we play softball, different way in a cab, and all of a sudden we act a different way in the church. And the Bible says when you become a Christian, you lose that clothing, and you only have one suit in your closet, and it's the Jesus suit, and we're supposed to look like him every Every single day. That's really what the challenge is. But I do. I dress up sometimes in those lion suits and it gets hot and it gets tiring and it gets old trying to be something that you're not. And that's why I think when I begin to find myself drawing closer to Jesus, let me just tell you something. I've realized this, that the older I've gotten in Jesus, the longer that I've served him in all these decades, I feel like I'm not getting weirder. I'm just getting re more real with who you are. And, and that's why 
I want to take you to a passage of scripture that really I watched the man take the lion suit off and going, now that's a real man. It was the, it's where he became real and it was his eighth Avenue Starbucks experience. It was the moment that he just goes, it almost seems like a very strange request from a very godly man. And the strange request is all the way in the book of numbers, chapter 11, and it's in verse 15. And it really is in the, in, in the form of a prayer. The man's name is Moses. And let me tell you his taking the lion suit off prayer. And it was this, this is what he prays. This is Moses. And he prays this, God, please kill me. How many know that's pretty real when you come to that? That's what he asked God. That is the prayer in the Bible. Moses says this. He felt like he couldn't go on any longer. And we've all been at that place before. In fact, David hit the limit when he says in Psalm, jot this down, 107 verses 26 and 27. David has a phrase for it. And he calls it coming to wit's end. Listen to what David said. He says, they rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. It's incredible imagery. It's like roller coaster. We're doing good. We're doing bad. We're doing good. We're doing bad. And then David says this. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. That's what David uses. Moses says, kill me. David says, I'm at wit's end. I don't even know what to do anymore. And, the, and what's amazing is, is when you think about the men that are praying these kind of prayers, like Moses, this isn't some man who is addicted to something. He's not walking the streets. He's not homeless. This is Moses who has just successfully led three million people out of slavery and out of Egypt. And it seems Moses finds himself at wit's end. He finds himself at that place and says, I don't even know if I can go on even another day. And it almost seems like this. And it seems like this strange request because when I came to the end of reading the book of Deuteronomy, listen to these words, how the Bible describes Moses. It says this, there has never been another prophet like him for the Lord would talk to him face to face. In fact, in Exodus 33, 11, it says the Lord would speak to him face to face just as a man would speak to a friend. Think how crazy this is. A man who would talk to God face to face like a friend who knew God intimately would still go, I can't even go on another day. I can't even do this anymore. Not all things are as they appear. A friend of God wanting his friend to end his life. This is Moses taking off the lion suit going, this is who I am. This is the real person. We may look lion. Let me just tell you this. The men that stand up here, Pastor Carter, Pastor David, uh, Pastor Patrick, all the men and, that will stand up here, all of us, Pastor Teresa, that we all may stand up here and look like lions, but I can just tell you, underneath, we're just normal men, real people. We, we're fearful. We're, we're scared. Sometimes, sometimes we become insecure. Sometimes we're wondering what tomorrow will look like. We, we just, it just goes that. And sometimes we get to that point of wit's end that feels like, God, I don't even know if I can go on anymore. And underneath these lion suits, you just kind of realize just one little moment, one little bump, something comes out, arrogance or pride or, 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 or insecurity. That, that's what happens because always remember this. You can hide it. Whatever's inside of you is going to come out. Just let it get bumped one time. 
and it really does come out. It's like you could have this bottle of water and everything looks great until you bump it and then what's in there actually comes out. If there's anger in there, trust me, someone is going to bump you and it's going to come out. It just really does. That's, that's what happened to Moses. Because if you ask Moses, how did this come out of you? Because when you look at all the way up to this point, everything seemed to be going good. You know what brought him out of it? And here's what's crazy. And I want to take you to Numbers 11. Church people brought it out of him. Seriously. Church people brought it out of Moses. This was his battle. They were complaining. They were ungrateful. And all of a sudden, he just couldn't take it anymore. In fact, Numbers 11, chapter verse 1, starts off that they're at, a, they're at a funeral for thousands of people that literally were judged for complaining on how hard their life is. And while they're there at the funeral of those that just died from a plague for complaining, they were complaining at the funeral that they were at because they were complaining. This is, this is, and then this is where Moses just loses. He gets bumped. Their complaint, you ready for this? This is the part I want you to see. Their complaint is that we don't have enough of food. We, their complaint was we don't have a big enough variety of foods. This is what it says. The Bible tells us this in verses four through six. They were saying the miracle food is not enough. We want a better variety of miracle. Maybe gluten-free, low-carb, paleo manna. But not the same thing every single day. And this is what they tell Moses. We remember, listen to these words, the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. Isn't it amazing how selective our memories are? We, and then he goes on. We used to eat melons, cucumbers, garlic for the Italians, and onions all in Egypt. And they, and he, and they emphasize free. I, I want to go, let me help your memory. Because you didn't eat it at a table with waiters and a tablecloth. You ate that food in chains. You ate that food with 400 years of slavery with people telling you what you're supposed to do. You didn't eat free food. You just forgot what kind of situation and lifestyle. And when people forget, or let me put it to you this way, when people begin to become selective in their memory, once in a while, we need God to jog us a little bit to say, I know you may think it's a little bit hard being a Christian, but do you remember what it used to be like when you weren't a Christian? And so... They kind of skewed and kind of slanted the story a little bit. And all of a sudden, the weeping of the people in verse 10, listen close. It wasn't normal weeping. It was selfish weeping. It was ungrateful weeping. I always remember these words whenever I find myself, because I've been in that situation where the miracle is not enough. I want a bigger variety of miracles in my life. And I think of the words of G.K. Chesterton, the great, the great Christian writer from the UK of decades ago said, either I will take things for granted or I will take things with gratitude. 
And so many times I take things for granted. I take things like they're just normal. In fact, one, one of my favorite poets named George Herbert said it like this. He says, thou has given me so much. Give me one more thing. Give me a grateful heart. And that's what I need. Because so many times I can find myself complaining. But let me read to you their complaint and what happened to Moses when he got bumped. When the lion suit comes off and he just goes, I can't take this. Listen to these words. Numbers 11 verse 10. Moses heard all of the family standing around their tent doors weeping and the anger of the Lord grew hot. Moses too was highly displeased. Verse 11. Moses said to the Lord, why are you picking on me to give me the burden of these people? Are they my children? Am I their father? Is this why you have given me the job of nursing them along like babies until we get to the land you promised? When am I supposed to get, where am I supposed to get meat for all of these people? For they're weeping saying, give us meat. I can't carry this nation by myself. The load is too heavy. Listen to verse 15. If you're going to treat me like, this is his prayer. If you're going to treat me like this, then please kill me right now. He, at least he said, please. It will be kindness. Let me out of this impossible situation. Because all of a sudden, he realizes I can't go on. This strange request is really not that strange at all. It's really a man who's just taking off the lion suit going, this is what's going on in my life. Let me read to you God's response to please kill me. Here it is. Verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers and bring them to the tent of meeting. Then I will come down and speak with you there and I will take the spirit that is upon you and I'll put it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so you will not bear it alone. Now listen, Times Square Church, really closely. This is how amazing God is. God takes the wrong request and answers it with the should have been request. Let, let, this is how amazing God is. He's praying, kill me. God goes, I'm going to give you 70 men. Think how amazing that is. Think how incredible God is to say, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you need. And I thank God that he hasn't done that for all of us. That he hasn't given us what we want or we all would have been married to our third grade teacher. But thank God, he just goes, no, 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 that's not. Here is what you actually need. Tozer said it this way, nobody ever got anything from God on the grounds that he deserved it. If God answers your prayer, it's because God is good, not because you're good. That's why we get prayer answered. And God, who is so good, goes, listen, because I'm good, I won't kill you, but I'll give you what you need so you can continue on. Keep this in mind. First of all, God knows what I need better than I know what I need. Always remember that. Number one, God knows what I need better than what I know what I need. I just ran across this. I can't even tell you where I ran across it. It was just this little blurb in a book called A Civil War Soldier's Prayer near the end of the Civil War. Listen to these words. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. He made me weak that I might lean upon him. 
I asked him for health that I might do greater things. He gave me infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. He gave me poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. He gave me weakness that I might feel my need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life, and I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I hoped for. That's God saying, I won't give you. God saying, I know what you need better than you know what you need. Sometimes, and the emphasis is on sometimes, what I think I need matches what God thinks I need, but it doesn't happen all the time. This is important. Moses thought he needed death, and God knew he just needed some really, really good people around him. The absence, listen to me close, Times Square Church, because I want to I approach a hurdle, but I don't have an answer to your hurdle. The absence of good men can bring a leader to suicide. The presence of the right people can add years to your life. Right men, you get more life. Wrong men, you want to end your life. Let me say that again. You have the right people in your life, it extends your life. You have the wrong people in your life, you want to kill you and them at the same time. That's what happens with Moses. Kill me because I can't take this any longer. Let me put it to you this way. The wrong people make him want to die. And God said the right people in your life will make you want to live. Now here's the challenge for us here at Times Square Church. Because you will not add right people. If there's a great place to add right people to your life, it's right here in the sanctuary. But you're not going to add the right people to your life when Pastor Patrick or Pastor David says, turn around and greet three or four people, it's not going to happen. You're not going to go, oh, we have a deep relationship now. It's not going to happen. One handshake doesn't fix that. And the challenge is, is everybody in here wants to be first in line at the parking garage, get on your train before anybody else does, and get out of the building. And what you're doing is, you're thinking, I'm making my life easier, and you're missing important relationships that can extend your life in here today. And, and I'm, when I talk about relationships, I'm not talking about, man, I've been wanting to find my husband. I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about relationships that add life, refreshing relationships. And you have to think, for example, why not grab some coffee, come back at one o'clock and be part of the one o'clock and go, okay, maybe right now. Okay, here's some of the hurdles because we do have things for you here that a ministry that is starting to grow that is creating some space and margin for good relationships. There's the one o'clock. I know there's services and, and I know that's good, but we've got to find, you've got to realize how important the challenge is not to run out of here, but to say, let's pause even for five or 10 minutes and maybe there'll be some traction in a friendship or a relationship. What better place to find great Christian people than right here? Because we need the right people in our lives. We need that. When Moses had them, it added, not, you know how many years? 40 years. 40 years. He goes, I'm going to give you 70 people. It's going to add 40 years to your life. If he doesn't have the right people, he wants to die. I am telling you, I am so grateful for the right people in my life. I am so grateful for the people that I have around me 
for people that tell me the truth. I would, I've been with people recently that they have no, no truth tellers in their life. So they just think everything they do is right. I need, who tells you the truth? Who do you have in your life that goes, you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't treat your wife like that. You shouldn't say that. Who do you have in your life? Because this is so important to understand. And I can't emphasize this enough. Moses wanted to die. God goes, you don't need to die. You just need the right people that are part of your life. See, coming to church is not just about, I sit here, I sing the songs, I listen to the choir, Delina preaches, I get spit on in the first three rows, and then we walk out of here. That's not simply life-changing. God brings us together so you can begin to find strength in godly people that are walking in the same direction. And the challenge is, I'm telling you, the challenge is when that curtain comes down, we bolt for the door instead of going, let's pause today. Let's find out a name because this is easy to do. God bless you. Good to have you today. God bless you. Good to have you. How about today we do this? Let me, let me give you a simple step. Hi, my name is Tim. What's your name and where are you from? So you're going like, write that down. That's good. I'll start. I'll start with that. What is your name? Start there. Hey, so great to have you. Are you from the air? Do you been coming to this church long? Ask some questions. Who knows what God can do today? You may leave with some good people in your life and say, hey, see you Tuesday. Where are you going to sit? I'm sitting in the south section of the sanctuary around row eight. Okay, I'll see you there. Why not? Why not do something? Some of you go like, that doesn't sound too holy. Listen, you can be holy and die fast. Or you can have some really good people and live a long time. I want to find some good people in my life. I don't want to die alone. Right people gives me longer years. I don't know about you. I'm not into dying right now. Some of you, for some of you, this is going like, I thought I'd just come to the altar and I get that spirit of suicide off of me. See, this is where we mess this thing up. God goes, you want to get that spirit of suicide? Get the right people in your life. Because some of you are going like, why are you angry? I don't know, but I'm telling you, this is really important today. This is, I'm telling you, listen to me, TSC. This is important for us to understand, because we're wanting this thing, someone to lay hands on us, get this thing off me. That's why the second thing is this, drop this down. I believe God answers our prayers, but we're just not alert to how he answers them. I want to die. Get the spirit of suicide. God goes, mm-mm. It's not a spirit of suicide. The issue here is you got some wrong people in your life. So I'm going to fix the relationship thing, and I'm going to add. Some of you go like, I have nobody here. Look at the people here. What do you mean you have nobody? This is what God has done. God put this together. See, I believe God is always answering our prayer. It doesn't look like what we asked him, but he's doing the right thing. Instead of what I said, he's doing what I needed. And some of us are missing the answer that he's providing. It was the story of the woman who was going to the store for her daughter's medication and locked her keys in the car. And she has to get home to get this. And she was just an older grandmother type. She was in her 
plate 70. She goes, I don't even know what to do. And it was one of the older cars where there was no clicker. How many remember a long time ago, there was buttons you need to pull up. Anybody remember those things? And then this is, this is a little bit after the Fred Flintstone and feet moving the car. And so she just did what we used to do growing up. You try to get a coat hanger in and try to, how many remember those days? Coat hanger and you're trying to lift the thing. And she's 78 years old. She just couldn't do it. So she just stopped, sat on the curb with a hanger that was extended in her hand and just goes, God, please send me somebody. I've locked the keys in a car. I need somebody to show up. So she just bowed her head and asked God. Within five minutes, this Harley Davidson pulls up. This guy is just looking rough dirty. And I mean, and all of a sudden he says, ma'am, can I, can I help you? And she's, her eyes are big and she goes, okay. She says, I locked my keys in the car. And he goes, let me have the hanger within 15 seconds. The door was open and she goes, you are a godsend. He goes, ma'am, just listen. He says, I'm not, I'm not a great man. He says, I just got out of prison for stealing cars. And he says, I can't do this. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, she lifted her voice and she goes, Lord, not only did you send someone, but you sent a professional. Sometimes God answers in ways we would not expect. We just have to be alert. He answers with answers. Here's the thing I want you to understand. Most of our prayer, prayer requests are telling God how we want him to answer it. That's what most of it is. God, this is what's going on. I need you to do this, and I need you to do this. And we're upset because when he doesn't do what we want, but he does what he's supposed to do because he's good, we miss the answer. Kill me. God goes, you get 70 men. But that's not what he requested. See, and there's things that you've requested and you don't think God answered it. He just went around and did the right thing that you didn't ask and you should have been asking. And so when people sometimes say to me, I prayed and God didn't answer me, I go, wait, 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 wait one second. Let's relook at this. God didn't answer what you forecasted and you commanded him to do. But you have no idea if he answered in the way that is the right thing to do. See, we're upset with God because he didn't do what we wanted him to do. But God is always looking out for his people because he is a good God. That's what he is. That's what he does. See, I love the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, your father knows, Matthew 6, 8. He knows even before you ask him. He knows. And I love that it says, not that God knows. I love it says, your father knows. And that's important because if you're his child, he knows what's best for us. I know what's best for my children. And before you even ask him, he's going, before, or let's put it this way, before you even ask him to do the wrong thing or the, the prescribed thing, God goes, no, 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 I know the best way to answer this. Moses says, I need to die now, please. And God says, you don't need to die. You just need the right men in your life. In fact, you need 70 men in your life. And so here's what I should be praying. God, this is what I'm asking for. I'm not telling you, but this is what I'm asking for. But since you're my father, you answer this the best way that you see fit for my life. 
And the problem is that you're sitting here. Some of you are in the balcony, in the annex at the New Jersey campus, and you're angry with God because he didn't answer what you told him to do. But you haven't looked for what he could have probably done already because you've been so upset that he didn't do what you told him to do. And God goes, no, no, no. Because if I would have done what Moses wants, I would have killed him. But I know better than just to give him what he wants or what even we want. And that's why, finally, let me show you a contrast here and let me close here today. Listen, things go really bad when God lets you be God. Let me say that one more time. I heard you. Here it is. Things go really, jot this down. Things go really bad when God lets me be God. When he lets me get what I want, and that's the contrast of this chapter. The contrast of this chapter is God answering the should have been request. I want to die. I'm going to give you 70 men. And I want you to see what God, what God shows us for just a brief moment when he begins to let people get what they want instead of what God thinks is best. And this is huge. We get a glimpse of what happens when people decide for themselves and we leave God out. It's in verse 18 of Numbers 11. It's God giving people what they think is best for them. Here it is. This is the other side when God lets you be God. Numbers 11, 18. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord. Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. This is, that, this is what they wanted to add to their variety of miracle food. For we were well off in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you're going to eat. You ask for meat, he says, then meat it shall be. And they got meat. God sends quail in verse 31. Now a wind comes out from the Lord, drove, drove quail from the sea. Because Moses goes, where are we going to get them? Are we going to slaughter? He says, no, no, no. Let me give them what they just asked for and show them that when you're God, you really make a really bad God. Listen to what he says. A wind goes out from the Lord, drives the quail from the sea. It scatters them up to two cubits, two cubits. That's almost seven feet deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk. That means seven feet of quail for a day's walk. God goes, you, you want get what you want? Here you go. Seven feet of birds. Think how insane that is. Now here it is. All that day and night, all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. Then they spread them all out around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before they could even consume it, the anger of the Lord burns against them and struck them with a severe, a severe plague. Be careful of thinking you know better than God. I want this job. I prayed for this job and God didn't give it to me. You really don't know what God may be held from you by not giving what you want. I wanted that man. I wanted to marry him. And then you moved him away. He moved out of New York. And that was the man. I'm so but God goes, you have no idea what that lazy man. I want to move. I want to get out of here. I want to start. And you have no idea. God, we want a child. We've been praying for a baby. Why can't I get pregnant? And you don't even know. God goes, I want to fix your marriage before I give you a family. 
Oh, I knew that wouldn't go over too well, but let's go on. You have no idea. I have no idea that when we're in charge of our own request, we may be scripting our demise. And that's exactly what he was showing them. He says, I want you to see what happens if I give you what you want. What would happen? Just think about this. What would happen if God answered every prayer that we prayed? Think of it for just a moment. By answering every possible prayer, God would in effect abdicate his throne and turn the world over to us. History shows how we've handled the limited power granted to us. We have fought at wars, committed Jew- uh, uh, genocide, messed up the environment, destroyed our forests. In fact, someone asked Gandhi, if you were given the power to remake the whole world, what would you do first? He says, I would pray for the power to become, renounce the power that was just given to me because I wouldn't even know how to handle the power. Think what happens on the limited power that we have. It was Amy Carmichael, the, the, the amazing mi- missionary to India, who really started the, the, the rescue in the sex trafficking industry decades ago in India. It was Amy Carmichael. I was reading her biography. She said, for years she prayed, God, I hate my brown eyes. I want blue eyes. I want blue eyes. And he, she said, God never answered my prayer. I prayed every day for almost a decade. Change my eyes from brown to blue. I hate my eyes. And she wrote later in India, an older woman, thank God for not answering her prayer. For blue eyes would have made all those orphans and all those children been frightened of her because she would have looked like a foreigner many, many years ago. And God kept her brown eyes to even bring a calmness to the children. That may not sound too, too uh, important today, but when I was reading that, I'm going, that's God not answering our prayers. And really, you just, I, I, listen, he's not a theologian. He's just a country singer, but Garth Brooks, I think, had it best when he says, just because God doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer. It really is. What is dangerous is if you and I got everything we asked for and kept God out of it. God sees the bigger picture. God answers like a father, not like some genie that you say it and he does it. You're not in charge. He's in charge. He sees the larger picture. God doesn't answer every request because he doesn't answer every request because we don't answer every request as a parent. And this is what's amazing. One one begins to feel God come up 70 elders. That's when God answers. And then you see another request that's answered when the people become God. And God's no longer God. God just steps away for just a moment. And all of a sudden, God goes, this is what happens when you get what you want. This is what happens. Seven feet deep of birds. And he, and he goes, you don't get it for a day. You don't get it for three days. Read the chapter. He says, you won't even get it for a week. One month, you're going to have seven. As soon as you cleared all those carcasses out, the next morning, seven feet deep again. God goes, that's why I'm in charge. That's why I know it's best for your life. See, we, we so many times get angry with him because he doesn't fix the situation, but we don't begin to realize how wise God really is. And I know that there are people that think, if I could just see this change and this this fix, and let me close with this, because the best place to see where God wants best for our lives is just in the word himself. I was reading a article on the plane, I think it was on a plane, where they took all of these 
these people that decided to use their phones for a test and said, we want to see how many touches society puts on that cell phone every single day. When you, when you watch, it's amazing to watch just in New York City, nobody lifts their heads up anymore. Nobody engages anymore. Everything is that you're running into cars, you're running into people. You just, people just don't think. And, and, and this is what they said. They said an overuse, he says, this is what the article said. They said, and so they, they, they tracked it on their phones. They said the biggest users will have at least 5,500 touches on their phone every single day. 5,500. That's a slide. That's a hitting a, an app. That's hitting something on their phone. He said, but the average person that's maybe sitting in this place is close to 3,000 times we're looking down. You can't know what God wants for you if you're looking at a device all day long. The best place to find out what God wants for you and for me is in God's word itself. That's where we find out. Can you imagine... Can you imagine if we gave that many touches to the word of God over our cell phone? Because what we do is we'll, we'll formulate what we think is best just from what we see all around us instead of going, God, what's your heart? What's your mind? What do you want for my life? So if we could just for a moment, let's put a touch on what the Bible says. Now listen, and this is where we close as the band comes. Listen, here's where we finish. Because here's what God says. We think God fix this. I need cheaper rent. I need a better job. I want to move uptown. I want to move downtown. I want to move out to Long Island. I want out of the city. God, I need, and God goes, let's start with what's best. And you don't need, because this is what we want. We want God to fix. And God goes, I don't want to fix. I want to renovate the whole thing. And we want God to fix our lives. And God goes, I'm not fixing your lives because that's you being in charge. When I'm in charge, God goes, I'm going to renovate your lives. How does he do that? You ready for this? Listen close now. What he does by that is starting off with the most important relationship you can ever have. And that's by being born again. You have to start there. Because if God to you is just fix this. If God exists, fix this, fix this. God says, you want to start? The best place to start is you've got to start with a relationship with me. And if you're here today, listen to me close. And if you're here to, because to understand born again, it's, a, it's, it's literally everyone here has a birth date. We know that birth date, the day that we were born. Jesus said in John chapter three, you don't just need a birth date. You need a second birth date. Because Jesus said these words, Jesus, who cannot lie, said these words, unless a man or a woman is born again, he can never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus said. That's not Times Square. It's not a denomination. It's not a path. Jesus said that. So for me to try to fix my life without starting at the first thing is me being in charge. When we're here today and go, I don't need to be born again. I just need this. You know what you're saying? I'd rather be God than him be God. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, said the first starting place is a second birth date. If we don't start there, then God, then God goes, okay, let's see what happens when you're God and you call the shots. 
we end up with seven feet of carcasses every single day. But God goes, start by letting me come into your life, not fix your life, let me renovate your life. This is what's so important. People want to skip that step and go, I'm going to church. I'm a good person. Jesus goes, "Mm -mm. this is what Jesus said. There is no one good except God. So if you're here today and go, I was to ask you, how do you get to heaven? I'm a good person. Ooh, someone's not telling the truth. Okay. Look at me for a second, because if that's what you, if I was to ask you today, how do you get to heaven? I've got to be a good person. Listen to me, Annex, New Jersey, podcast tomorrow. If you're here saying, I have to be a good person, then somebody's not telling the truth. Either you're not telling the truth or Jesus, who cannot lie, is not telling the truth. If Jesus said, there's no one good starting with me except God, and you go, me being a good person is what gets me to heaven. So here's what I have. Either I'm not telling the truth or Jesus is not telling the truth. I'm sorry, I got to go with Jesus on this one. I do. So if you can't get there by being good, let me tell you what Jesus does. He says, I'm giving you a way to get there. I'm giving you a second chance. It's called being, you're born once and you get to be born again. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? It's as simple as this. It's as simple as ABC. ABC, that's what we tell our kids. That simple song, ABCs. We make it as simple as we can. A, I admit I'm a sinner. I'm not good. That's why God came. That's why he sent his son to die in my place. Because I'm a sinner. I'm broken on the inside. I can't, there's not a promise. There's not a program. There's not a priest, a pastor, or a rabbi that can fix your inside. Only one person can fix you on the inside. And that's Jesus himself. It's the only person. And you have to start with, there's something not right. I'm wired wrongly on the inside. God goes, I come in and renovate that. I'm coming in not to fix your life. I want to fix you from the inside out, which begins to fix your life. And second, it's believing that Jesus died in my place. My sin deserved death, but God loved me so much. He says, I will die in their place. And see, then confessing him as Lord, saying, you're the boss now. When I'm God, I make a horrible God. But when you're God, you know the best from me, better than anybody else knows. I want you to bow your head here today. In the balcony, main floor, annex, New Jersey campus. Man, don't make the mistake of Numbers 11. The mistake of Numbers 11 is thinking we know better than God. I want quail. I want variety. I'll fix my life. I just, if I have a child, our lives will be better. If I have a husband, my life will be better. If I get this job, this promotion, this raise, make this much money. And what we're doing is we're forecasting. It's as, it's as, it's as, it's as silly as asking for quail every single day. And God goes, you've missed the miracle. When you're God, when I'm God, when God allows me to get what I want, it always goes bad. And God just gave us that little glimpse in Numbers chapter 11. But today, today in this place, there are people that are willing to go, you know what, God? If you said I have to start with born again, and we're not talking about becoming a member of this church. We're not saying you got to become a Protestant or a Catholic or Jew. We're not saying any of that. We're going to use Jesus' terms today. Jesus said, you must 
you must be born again. So if he said must, let's not make optional what Jesus says is absolutely the most important decision you can make today. The most important thing you can make, the decision you can make today is to say, I am going to let God be God. And if he says, start with a relationship with him, but don't have a relationship when I come to church, mm -mm. it doesn't give you a second birth. Second birth is when you say, I want you to come into my heart. I am a sinner and I need you to be in charge of my life. It's just a simple prayer. And in fact, I want to pray a, a simple born again prayer that says, God, I'm tired of trying to get things fixed. I need to start at step one, which is I want to be born again today. Born again. You can know today when you walk out of this place that I'm going to heaven. Some of you are going like, I'm going downtown. I'm going to eat at this Italian restaurant. I'm going back to New Jersey. But you want to know today, if life is done, I know I'm going to heaven. Why? Not because I'm good. Not because I went to Times Square. Not even because I was baptized. Those are all good things. But I'm going to heaven today because today was my second birth date. I was born again on this day. And if you're here with every head bowed, Annex, New Jersey, if you're watching at some of our house, house meetings around the world, around the United States, if you're here right now with every head bowed and every eye closed and said, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born again prayer, I want to be part of that. Today is going to be my second birthday. I want today to be that day that I take that second, that step. I, de I decided today I'm not God. He's God. And if he says a relationship with him is best, then today I choose God. I choose a second birth. I choose to be born again. If Jesus says it, I believe him. And if you're here today and say, when you pray that prayer, I want to be part of that. Would you raise your hand right now? No hesitation. Hold it as high as I can, as you can. I want to make sure I see every hand. Hold them up high. Hold them up high and keep them up. Because I want to make sure I see every hand that's up that says, I want to be born again today. I want my life to be absolutely changed. Here's what I want you to do. If you've raised your hand, you've got some amazing people here that are going to get ready to cheer for you. I want you, if you raised your hand without any hesitation, stand to your feet right now. Quickly, just stand up. If your hand's raised, stand up as high as you can because I want to make sure we see you and we're going to get ready. Come on, balcony, stand up. Stand up, annex, stand up. This is so important. If you're standing up, here's what I want you to do. If you're standing up right now, I want to come down. I want to pray with you quickly. Just get out of your seat. Come down here as fast as you can. Just come on down. They're going to cheer for you as you come down. We're so excited that on this day, this is an exciting day for you. This is such an exciting day. Nothing makes me more happy than to watch people get born again because you're starting a brand new life. What you decided was this. Let me tell you what you decided. You decided today, I'm not going to be God. We do a horrible job at being God, don't we? And so some of us have been here and some of you have been here, been angry with God. You didn't answer my request. How do you know? Because I asked this and he did and he didn't do it. No, no, no. He does what's best. And thank God he doesn't let us be God. Here's what I want us to do. Everyone at this altar, listen to me for a second. We're going to pray a prayer. And all this prayer is, is to say, God, I'm inviting you into my life. This is an RSVP to God to say, you died on the cross for me. I'm just letting you know. I'm not good, but you are. Can we pray with them today? Come on, let's all pray this together. Say these words with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt 
and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Say this with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on. Put your hands.